Broadcasting live from the Aria Resorts in Las Vegas for the DBA International Conference, it's Capital Club Radio. Now here's your host, Michael Flock. Good morning and welcome to Capital Club Radio live in Las Vegas, um, February 10th. We're pleased and privileged today to uh, have Manny Newberger, one of the leading Regulatory attorneys in the debt buying and collection industry is our guest. Uh, Manny has practiced law since 1983. Licensed, he's licensed in Texas, Colorado. Uh, he's admitted to practice in multiple circuits and districts, as well as the U.S. Supreme Court. He's an adjunct professor at the University of Texas School of Law in Austin. He's written several legal books and journal articles. He's received his B.A. from Trinity and a J.D. from the University of Texas in Austin. Manny, Welcome. Thanks, Michael. Thank you Welcome. for having me. Yeah. Tell me and tell our listeners how you got started in this, because no one really plans, I don't think, to get into debt buying or collections. And how did you get into this industry? Uh, so it's a funny thing. Uh, I fell into a law school clerkship. The day I started law school was the day I made my first collection call, working for a collection law firm in Austin. So wow. I actually made my first collection call in 1980. Okay. Uh, in law school? In law school. So you weren't you weren't licensed then, and you nope. know I was. I was the law clerk working for a collection law firm that, okay. that had a volume collection practice. Okay, and of course it was great because I got to call debtors and I got to help draft pleadings and motions and learn my way around the courthouse. And uh, you know I was really lucky. I'd had this internship at IBM back when I was in college, and had this boss who dragged me at, to his at office. At IBM? Oh yeah. Well, so did I. I didn't know that. Okay. And, uh, and you, you know that what a great great culture it was. Oh, great culture, yeah. And uh, respect so, for the individual. That's right. Yeah. And, and I had that first you know summer internship. I did two of them. Okay. And and the first summer I taught programming, and and the the boss dragged me in his office the first day, closed the door. He sat me down. I said, "Let me explain how things work here." Okay. He said, "Secretaries run the world. I don't care what you do while you work here this summer, but you don't piss off anybody's secretary because if you do, we have a problem." <laughs> so, so I learned this lesson from IBM. Here I'm a you know law student. Okay. Running over the courthouse, it took okay. me about thirty seconds to figure out that court clerks were secretaries on steroids, okay. and you don't make them mad. Okay. Uh, okay. And so here was great. I'm, I'm run, you know, doing all this stuff with this collection law firm and learning right. my way around the courthouse, which you don't really get to do in law school. Right. And I did that for a year, and, okay. and I did worked at some other firms in the interim, and then come my third year, I worked for what was then the premier consumer protection law firm in the state of Texas. Uh, my mentors were former consumer protection division chiefs who'd literally written the book on consumer litigation in Texas. Okay. So graduate law school and end up coming in to work with uh, Barbara Barron. Okay. Uh, Barron and Barron and Newberger. Right. And took over her collection practice. Okay. So I, I, okay. Was, I was literally practicing under a third year practice card, doing the collection cases with another lawyer in the courtroom until I got my license. Right. And ran that practice for a long time, but because of my third year experience, also handling consumer protection cases. Okay. Uh, not only did I make my first collection call in 1980, I actually worked on my first fair debt case in uh -huh. 1982 uh -huh. while I was uh, still a law student. Cool. Well, tell me, Manny, how, help me understand, though, uh, growing up in the IBM culture, you know, respect for the individual. Uh, you were told in law school, don't piss off secretaries. But how does that tie to making calls on consumers or, or debtors, as we used to call them? Is there a conflict there? Oh, absolutely not. Um, in, in fact, there's so many things that should achieve perfect alignment that always surprises me people don't see it. Treat people well, they pay you money. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've always believed that, that compliance does not mean an inability to collect. It has to do right. with the way you go about collection. 
having an, an early practice that involved both consumer law on the consumer side and okay. collection law on the creditor side, okay. I formed these strong feelings. People who owed money ought to pay their bills, and people who collected money ought to follow the law. Okay. It worked pretty well, and I, and I don't mind telling you, you know, when I do depositions, even today, uh-huh. defending clients around the country, you don't find me yelling at people. You find me generally pe- treating people with dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. And it's even amazing. as a litigator, because that's not the image, you know, we, most of us have of litigators. It, it isn't. And if you saw the answers I get in depositions, you'd understand why I do that. Okay. And why it is that a lot of my adversaries try not to let me take depositions huh. because it's easy to, it's easy to resist a lawyer who's being nasty to you and yelling at right. you. Right. Right. Someone treats you like a truthful, honest person. You know what? You tend to testify like a truthful, honest person. Huh. So treat people well and they, and they pay the money. That's your motto? That's how it worked for me. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you a true story. Okay. Uh, this, this was the thing that really woke me up. I had a debtor I collected from as a first-year law student, as mm-hmm. a law clerk. Mm-hmm. When I took over our firm's collection practice, I don't think for a period of the first nine or ten years I practiced law, I ever went more than 90 days without a case against this guy. Wow. He, he had a business that had bad cash flow, so he'd fall behind, he'd get right. caught up, he'd fall right. behind, he'd get caught up. Right. And I've been practicing law five, six years, uh-huh. and I get a call one day, and answer the phone and the guy says manny it's same guy i say bob that's not his name <laughs> and, and i recognize him. yeah said, how you doing he said yep. great he said hey look i just got served with a lawsuit from you i said well you know bob that's not unusual and he laughed he said no right. it's not he said but look i've got some money i want to pay you i said great let's get this settled and here's what happened he said to me you know you're the only lawyer in town i talk to and you're the first one i pay when i've got money mm-hmm. and it just kind of stopped me cold i said you mm-hmm. mind telling me why he said mm-hmm. i'll be glad to tell you he said Every time I see, he said, you know, first of all, he said, you've kicked my butt at the courthouse. He mm-hmm. said, you've sued me. You've almost put me out of business two, three times. Mm-hmm. I said, but that's your job. I get that. He said, but every time I see you, yeah. you come over to me and shake my hand and talk to me like a human being. He said, wow. no other collection lawyer in town does that. I pay you before anyone. I don't even talk to the other guys. Wow. That is, that's very surprising. Isn't it? And and, and he, it was all true. I mean, we had right. almost put this guy out of business a couple times on writs of execution, writs of right. garnishment. Right. But- you know, I'd see him, I'd go over, I'd shake hands. How you doing? How's the family? You know, sorry we're here. You know, it's not personal. Right. And that really, that really woke me up. I wow, think. that's, that's a tremendous story. And I, by the way, I've told that story literally all over the world, training uh-huh. collectors. Uh-huh. Uh, because it's, it has the, it has the wonderful benefit of being absolutely true. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But there are other stories like that with other consumers that couldn't pay, other debtors that you've oh, yeah. known over the years. And, and, and Absolutely. And in fact, uh. What I really love these days, because, you know, although I defend a lot of mm-hmm. cases around the country, right? I, I still train collectors around the country and, and overseas. You train uh, collectors? Oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, I didn't know that was part of the purview of Baron and Neuberger. The... B- because I've been on the phones and because I've defended right. cases and listened to lots of calls, right? I have an appreciation for what goes on on, on, on the phone. And, okay. And, and because I obviously do a lot of negotiations, I can work with people on how to Right. negotiate successfully without having to be abusive. Uh-huh. I've got a client who is a well-known industry member, brought me in, and I did some training for his people, and I was really tickled because for about two weeks, he said, I'm not going to keep this up forever. But he kept sending me emails from people saying, you know, I did what Manny said. I tried this, and the person paid. They, they made a payment arrangement. They settled it. And, and people kept saying, he was right. I can be nice to people, mm-hmm. and they pay me. Hmm. And, and I really believe that. Mm-hmm. And, and I can tell you, if, if more people did that, I'd probably have much less of a business than I do. Well, maybe maybe that's your secret sauce then, because you certainly have 
probably one of the best reputations of anyone in your position in the industry. And uh, it's certainly not consistent with the traditional stereotypes of attorneys in this space. So, Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. I'd, I'd like to think that our practice is based on dealing honestly with people. Uh-huh. You know, I'm a guy who's been known to call a state regulator and say, mm-hmm. got to self-report a client. Mm-hmm. We've got a violation. They screwed up. What have I got to do to make it right? Right. I've been known to call plaintiff's lawyers and say, okay, I lose. Right. Now, what are we going to do to settle? Right. And it's, it, you know, I think it's somewhat disarming for people. They don't expect you to just come forward and say, right. my bad, I'm responsible, let me see what I can do. And when clients do that, and we've got a lot of clients who yeah. are really good at stepping to the plate, right. the response is frequently just quite amazing. Okay. Well, let's talk about agency owners then, or, or owners of debt bond companies uh, that hire you because some of them can be uh, strong personalities and they have kind of one view of seeing the world. How do you deal with them the same way then as you deal with some of these, uh, you know, maybe unfriendly consumers that can't pay their bills? Probably depends on which client you talk to. I think the words tough love might be used about me occasionally. Okay. Um, We have a firm motto and I'm the one who wrote it and it goes like this. We don't get paid to tell people what they want to hear. We get paid to tell people what they need to hear. Wow, that's a good motto. And uh, so, no, I've, I've I've been known to be pretty blunt with clients about, okay. you know, you may think that, but you need to go back and look at what you did all over again. So let's say that again. So we don't get paid to tell people what they want to hear. We get paid to tell people what they need to hear. Is that it? That's correct. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's funny. I mean, you know, as you say, agency owners can be volatile. I was on a case. Right. Years ago, it was a vendor. It wasn't an agency owner. And the guy happened to be a non-practicing attorney. Right. And I, I could not repeat on your program the particular word choices he was using, but, but right. it had quite a number of interesting word choices right. about how he wasn't a debt collector and how dare these guys accuse him of being one. Yep, yep. Uh, I said, okay, do me a favor, would you? He said, what? I said, you got your computer in front of you? He said, yes. He connected mm-hmm. to the internet. He said, yes. Can you go to your homepage? Mm-hmm. He said, okay. I said, uh, can you click here on this page, on this part of your website he did i said right. can you scroll down three paragraphs yeah. right read that aloud for me mm-hmm. and he started reading aloud he got to the third sentence mm-hmm. stopped dumbstruck mm-hmm. and said how did that get in there mm-hmm. i said i don't know but it looks to me like you say you're a debt collector they say you say you're a debt collector and you got to go persuade mm-hmm. the jury now that what you say on your own website isn't true mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's not an unusual kind of conversation to have right. in our practice right right well, so it sounds like you, you've been kind of ahead of the curve then in terms of the kind of behavior that the industry is trying to um, develop on the part of both collectors and, and of course, how uh, collectors and agents call um, debtors or, or consumers that haven't paid their bills. Um, what What is your view, though, on the, on the regulatory environment today? Because it certainly has evolved over the years. I mean, you've been in this industry, you know, 25, 30 years now. Uh, it, it's evolved incredibly. How do you see it today versus where it was? And, and what's your outlook on the future and it, it implications for uh, debt bars and collection agencies? Wow, that, that's a lot at once. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, because obviously we used to fight with the FTC. Yeah. And, and I have a lot of respect for some very fine people over there who've been adversaries. Mm-hmm. The industry didn't pay as much attention pre-CFPB, pre-Dodd-Frank, FTC might do a settlement with the company. Right. People might look at it, but there was sort of this not me attitude about regulatory right. actions. Right. I mean, that's those guys, but we don't do that. Right. Now someone at the CFPB sneezes and 30 people in the industry get a cold. Right. What you have is an incredible amount of what I would describe as 
wasted time, energy, and mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. with people running in all directions, panicking and trying to guess what's coming next. Right. As opposed to tightly focusing on well, what if we just try and do the right thing? Yep. What what if we look at what would be a good way to practice? What if we focus on what the bureau has already told us? Yep. And not try to guess what people might say in a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so what happens is when people act in a panic, mm-hmm. bad things happen. Mm-hmm. You don't get a three hundred and sixty degree analysis of changes, and right. you implement changes and don't do that. Right. You suddenly discover one one fix has caused multiple problems. Right. Right. Uh, you have people. Uh, making decisions with complete disregard for legal risk mm-hmm. or financial risk. I'm going through this now. I've got a client who's been asked to do something by one of their clients. Mm-hmm. They've talked to the people who are demanding it, given the reasons why they shouldn't. The guys mm-hmm. they're talking to say, yeah, you know, that makes sense, but you have to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm looking down the train tracks and I see the, the collision that's going to happen from right, right. this creditor to on this vendor. You've got to do this. Right. So you get hired then to uh, obviously fix problems that have already occurred. Um, agencies or debt buyers that have been um, under scrutiny of different regulatory agencies. Um, so you you are kind of reacting. You're hired to to fix problems. At the same time, though, is it true that you you are now being engaged to uh, help companies or agencies and debt buyers plan for better compliance and plan to uh, implement better processes so they can avoid these, you know, uh, situations where they're panicking over a giant fine or whatever? Yes. And, and, you know, of course, we've done that to differing degrees over the years, Uh but certainly more of that and new and different ways that we're helping people. We're kind of a peculiar firm. So two of our our managing attorney, Tom Good, actually has been the general counsel of two of the largest debt buyers in the country over the years. Okay. Uh, our newest attorney just left the Federal Trade Commission after being the director of two separate regions of the FTC. Right. Uh, one of our other attorneys has been in-house counsel at a debt buyer. So we've got people who've got operations backgrounds. Okay. It gives us the ability to have litigators like me who right. understand operations but aren't ops guys. Okay. Sit down and, and kick ideas around and make sure that what we propose is feasible because okay. my team has very harsh instructions for me. You may not ask a client to do something unless it is economically feasible. Okay. Unless it is uh, practically implementable. Uh, you know, don't, mm-hmm. don't ask a client to do something that, that just isn't going to work. Right. If, if, if it requires, let's say, technological implementation, IT right. Right. changes, it has to right. also fit within the client's ability right. to muster IT resources right. to implement a, a fix. Because okay. law- lawyers throwing out solutions that, that don't work is not a good way for lawyers to help clients. Right, right. It has to be a partnership. The client has to tell the lawyer, Okay. You know, th- this is the limit of what we can do. Now, within these limits, mm-hmm. can you help us solve a problem? And then the lawyer has to come up with a solution okay. that fits that problem. Okay. You know, it can't be like the real estate agent who you tell, I don't want to spend more than $200,000 for a house, and every house they bring in is at two fifty to three hundred. Right. Uh, right. It, it doesn't work. You right. have to fit within the client's limits. Yep, yep. So how much of your time or the firm's time now is spent on either, you know, litigating, problem solving, and or uh putting in place proactively uh, programs, processes to avoid, you know, violations of CFPB regulations, FTC, you know, so forth. Wow. I'm not even sure I could answer that question. Yeah. You know, our, our litigation team is, well, recently we've been rapid response. I had a, I signed on to take over a jury trial less than 24 hours before it was to start recently. Okay. So that's about as rapid response as yeah. it gets. Yeah. Um, so by definition, then you have to react 
to crises and things that happen. Litigation is is absolutely uh, reactive. Um, I had a a run at the end of last year where I had three appellate arguments scheduled in a 40-day period. I argued at the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. Okay. Then I was scheduled at the South Carolina Supreme Court, then at the Florida Fifth District Court of Appeals. Yep. All within the space, you know, 40 days. And in the middle of that, we had a U.S. Supreme Court brief and a class certification hearing. Yep. So having a great team helps a lot. But at the same time, we've got people who need fixes. They need document review. They need solutions. Uh, you know, it's it's obviously it's not just FDCPA. You've got all these right. federal consumer statutes, and then the clients want to know, well, what do we do about the latest right. CFPB consent decree, and how do we implement the right. uh, changes that it seems to necessitate? Yep, yep. So, so I actually leave here and go to a set of client compliance meetings. Okay. Uh, when, I, when I leave uh, Las Vegas, I'll be heading off to meet with clients on some operational issues. Okay. Where I was going with all this was to understand your vision your plan, your strategy for Baron and Newberger going forward in this new world of, you know, mega compliance and mega regulatory issues. So in a, in a perfect world, mm-hmm. we have helped all our clients avoid any litigation and mm-hmm. regulatory risk whatsoever, but right. we don't live in that world. Right. So our goal is to try to provide the best assistance we can to clients mm-hmm. to avoid legal and regulatory and reputational risk. Okay. At the same time, when they get hit with lawsuits or enforcement actions, right. doing the best we can to minimize the harm. Okay, okay. And you work both in the world, of course, of the charged-off uh, portfolios as well as performing, subprime performing. Are you doing anything in that space? Um, I have over the years. Okay. Uh, that's, a, that's a cyclical thing. I, right. I had moved away from mortgage. Okay. And now I seem to be helping a number of foreclosure firms again. Okay. Uh, there was one one servicer I used to actually fly out once a month to their okay. offices and just settle cases for them. My entire my entire mission was come out here, go okay. through our litigation files, right. figure out what should be settled, and see if you can resolve them. Yep. I, I don't do operational work for servicers in the mortgage okay. space. Okay. Um, I, I do work with some issuers of debt. Okay. Uh, and we're we're looking to expand that to be quite honest. Creditors. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, you know our, our newest originators. Yeah. Okay. Our newest guy from the FTC's got some background in auto issues. Okay, I started out with a lot of background in auto issues. Right, I'm fond of pointing out I had the uh, privilege of learning commercial law from uh, the senator from Massachusetts, and when she taught at uh, mm-hmm. University of Texas Law School, and she was probably one of the best professors I had. So, really, uh, we uh, we still work in that space, but it, it is cyclical; it comes and goes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm into this because so many of the uh, folks here at the DBA conference now are talking about new asset classes that they're getting into. And so I'm wondering, you know, does Baron and Newberger now plan to also kind of align itself with some of these interests and strategies of, of some of the people right here? Because many folks are talking about online lending now. That's another big area. Healthcare, you know, are you guys getting into that too? We've actually represented some folks in the healthcare space for a very long time. Okay, it was a time when I actually did medical collections back in the early 1980s. Really, okay. uh, I, I didn't mm-hmm. care for it, but mm-hmm. I did it for a while. Um, and yes, we're doing it. We're looking to do more of it. I, I think what you're seeing is you're right. Online lending, which presents a, a, right. a number of interesting challenges, right, for clients in terms of compliance, and and we've worked with clients in terms of how do you litigate the accounts. Yep, the medical certainly, the mortgage, auto payday yeah uh, there's a lot going on out there and in fact at, at narca i'm going to be doing a panel on non-credit card uh 
consumer law issues. Okay. For for people collecting in other spaces. Okay. What are some of the common denominators then of success and also of failure in those segments that you've seen over the years? Understanding the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can think of one company that's no longer around. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember coming into a meeting and they said, yeah, our lender thought they'd get a three-year ROI. And my mm-hmm. answer was, guys, I don't do that stuff. And I know it's six. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got to understand what it is you're buying. Mm-hmm. You've got to understand the unique challenges that that type of debt presents. Mm-hmm. If you're buying commercial paper, mm-hmm. you had better understand the law of guarantees. You had better understand not just what documentation you can get of the debt, but also the personal guarantees. You'd better understand a host of issues that that arise when you're collecting from guarantors. If you're going to collect medical, you'd better not just be thinking about HIPAA. Mm -hmm. You'd better be thinking about some of the very unique privacy issues that arise. Mm -hmm. Um, Medical has some of its own terminology, which drives me insane. Uh, For for lawyers, when we say a guarantor, Mm -hmm. a guarantor to me as a lawyer, it's someone who who agrees to pay someone else's debt. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. In the medical arena, Guarantor means the person who agreed to pay for the bill. Mm-hmm. It, it mm-hmm. could be the patient. It could be the person who checked the patient in. It could mm-hmm. be the patient's parent. Mm-hmm. They use that word very differently than lawyers do. And right. so right. understanding that is important because let's put it in an FDCPA perspective. Right. Can't misrepresent a debt. Yep. Can't misrepresent its character. Right. Can't make any misleading statement. Yep. Calling someone a guarantor when they're not legally a guarantor. Uh-huh. Someone might sue you for that. Okay. So you start looking at, well, okay, what's our internal terminology versus our external terminology? And that's when I start pulling my hair out because one of my rules is internal legal positions must match external optics. Okay. Quite simply, whatever you say you do, Uh when someone looks in from the outside, they need to see from the outside that that that's what you actually do. Yeah. If you use words, they should match up when looking in from the outside. Okay. Sounds pretty simple. Pretty basic. But I imagine that you you come across then, again, debt buyers or agencies that make mistakes probably unintentionally. They don't realize because maybe they lack experience in a certain asset class. So they're maybe naive, perhaps. Uh, Is that right? I can tell you, particularly with the people we've worked with in DBI, I can't think of anyone who's deliberately made mistakes. Okay. But mistakes get made. Misunderstandings, lack of experience, lack of knowledge, you know, pieces of information that weren't carried from the person who knew to the person who needed to know and didn't. Okay. Okay. Now, speaking of mistakes, uh, and I know Baron and Neuberger has a phenomenal reputation, a phenomenal history over the years uh, in this industry, but but you've obviously must have encountered some kind of obstacles and uh, setbacks along the way as you were building this law firm. Can you comment on what you learned uh, along the way? Well, one thing is to build a team that has similar vision. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I, I think in the early years, we weren't focused as much on team. Uh-huh. We weren't as focused on uh, common core notions of how things should be done. Mm-hmm. So people now say to me, well, how, how do you end up with, you know, one guy in California and one guy right. in Colorado and one guy in New York and now a guy in Atlanta? And the answer is, well, because we didn't pick locations, we picked people. Okay. I, I've jokingly said I'm assembling a team. I call it the Avengers Project, but it is kind of like that. You know, we've. We, we've looked for the people who we think fit what we think our practice should Regardless be Regardless of the geography where so, they're located. That's exactly right. So you created like a virtual team then? Well, you know, it is. Maybe I mean, that's we, not the right we, word. We but, talk and yeah. we get together and yeah. you know, two of us are here. Yeah. We, we work cases with each other. Our new guy in Atlanta had the pleasure of on his second day discovering we were going to try a jury case on less than 
one day's notice. Wow. But we can do that. You mm-hmm. know, that's 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 part of the gig. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. We, we've got the training to do that. Teaming up on on appellate prep. Uh, you okay. know, I, what I really love is I walked into one of our team's offices in December, and I said, "Are you having fun?" And he looked up and he said, "God, yes." You realize what I've gotten to work on in the last three months, <laughs> uh-huh. and and that's what I want to hear. Fun litigating or fun? The kind of work he's getting to do. Uh-huh. He said, look, in the last three months, I've gotten to help prep you for three appellate arguments, work on a U.S. Supreme Court brief, right. work on all these really cool, interesting issues. Right. You know, you, you came to me, you, you let me come up with my ideas okay. and listen to them. Okay. And and it's, it's right. You know, I said, I said, give me your draft of the brief. Don't worry about what okay. I want. You give me every idea you've got, mm-hmm. and then we'll come to a consensus. But I want to hear all your ideas. Right. And and I think too, you you give your people a chance to do what they're good at. Okay. Okay. And and, and they really flourish. So I, I love it to have someone on my team say he's really having fun. Right. So maybe that comes from the respect for the individual, maybe that you learned as an intern at IBM, or um, you know the the kind of diplomatic way that you talk to consumers when you were learning how to make collection calls. I don't know. I mean, there must be some kind of values that you've, I, I guess, used along the way to build these teams uh, in your firm. And I guess you probably have to be sure that you, the values are aligned amongst the team members that people share the same ones. You couldn't have fun otherwise. Is that right? I think that's exactly right. And, you know, good teamwork is important. And that means sharing ideas. You don't have to have, you don't have to agree on everything. Right. You don't have to have identical right. values, but when you've got a lot of core values, that are similar when you have the same goals for your clients. Right. Right. You, you can get a lot done. Right. And, uh, in all honesty, I don't know how much of it's the early years and how much it is, uh, Learning mistakes along, learning from mistakes along the way, getting enough gray hair to right. realize things I might have done twenty years ago I, I wouldn't choose to do today. Okay, and those mistakes were was it how you built the team or your strategy for the law firm, the kind of business you went after, or, or what? I think all of it. You okay. Know, okay. But but to your point, even ways of dealing with people. You know, okay. the, the the way I might have dealt with someone in the first three four years of my practice was right. certainly very different. I right. You, you reach these points in your legal career where you, you suddenly have these wake up moments. Right. I, in the early Describe years, one. Pick one. I, I'll give you one. Okay. So as a collection lawyer. Okay. So as a as a young collection lawyer, let's face it, most of our cases we won. And when okay. I say most, I mean yeah. almost all of the people wow. that settled. With okay. Them. And and you won them because it was a default judgment. You won it because you had the evidence in a summary judgment. You right. won it because they didn't answer discovery and you right. sought sanctions. And what happened was, you know, there were there was lots of discovery fights and sanctions motions, mm-hmm. and, and the judges you could just see them wincing. They hated lawyers pointing fingers at each other and mm-hmm. demanding legal fees mm-hmm. from each other. And, and one day I just kind of woke up and I thought I'm going to try something totally different. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just set the other guys' objections for hearing, and I showed up in court. And the judge said, "Why are we here?" I said, "Well, we're here on his discovery objections." He said, "We got a motion for sanctions." I said, "Oh no, judge, I don't want sanctions." Mm-hmm. I said, "I got a claim for legal fees in this case. We'll deal with that at the end." Mm-hmm. You know, Billy's doing his job. All I want you to do is rule on his objections and we can get on with the case. Right. The judge kind of, you know, almost sat back in his chair and looked at me for a minute and nodded. So I said, of course, it's his objections and it's his burden to prove. So I'll sit down and shut up. And Uh of course, if it's my motion for sanctions, it's my burden to prove. If it's his goofy objections, it's his burden to prove. My success rate at beating discovery objections tripled. Wow. Just because of that. Just because of that. And judges were thanking me Uh for not coming in Uh and accusing other lawyers of acting in bad faith because they were doing what we all knew they were doing, which was representing their clients. Right. And of course it made it so much easier to get along with the lawyers I was fighting with. And we started settling more cases because they knew uh-huh. that we uh-huh. weren't going to get into lengthy discovery games. And so 
you know, it was almost like a snowball. This one little change rolled, right. and it, it had a really amazing impact on a lot of things. Over the years, I've had uh-huh. things like that where I'll just look at a problem and say, mm-hmm. what if we don't do this the way we've always done it? What if we change our paradigm right. and, and try to go about this differently? Okay. I won't claim it always works because it just plain doesn't. Right. But when it does, it's sure great. Right. So changing paradigms, problem solving. So, you know, those are lessons learned at Baron and Neuberger and uh, how to manage adversity. But in your personal life, Manny, you've also had uh, some adversity. And I think our listeners would be fascinated to hear, you know, the story that, you know, you were born without a hand. You were born without a hand. That's a giant obstacle. How, how does someone who has one hand deal with that over, you know, in a life. I mean, that's huge. Um, you don't let it be an obstacle. Mm-hmm. You know, there was nothing the other kids did that I didn't do. Right. Maybe a little differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally in my whole life, there's, there's, you know, I can't think of many things mm-hmm. I can't do. I'll confess to you. I don't rock climb. Mm-hmm. I, I could, but it's not worth, <laughs> it's not little, worth, it's not worth it to me. Yeah. Uh, but I've rappelled down cliffs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I did martial arts for about 20 years. Well, talk about martial arts. How do you do martial arts with only one hand? You'd be surprised. Every, everything can be adapted. Uh-huh. There's always another way to do something. Uh-huh. And of course that, that is reflected in the way I practice law. Mm-hmm. You know, so many things I do as a lawyer come from lessons I learned in martial arts. And I, and give I us studied, some examples. Well, two different ways, actually. So most of what I did was a Korean combat art and was very, I hate to say violent, but let's let's just say it was it's very direct. Okay. Uh, but I also studied with a, a friend who was a management professor, and it was a six degree black belt in Aikido. Okay. And I've often said a whole lot of what I learned about negotiations I learned from Fred, not from law school. Okay. Because the Aikido philosophy is is a sort of a non confrontational approach to dealing with aggression, and and. I wish I'd done that earlier in my life, to be quite honest. And so Fred was really great at teaching people how to diffuse situations. And and a lot of it was about, he said, you know, someone attacks you and the guy punches at you and you're standing yeah. side by side and right. you're looking the same way he's looking and you're moving now within the same direction he was moving. He said, because when you, when you push people, they resist. Right. And when you pull people, they resist. But when you lead people, they go with you. And he said, you got all his energy and all his movement and you're leading him right where you want to take him, into the floor, or into the wall or whatever it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> but but you don't create the resistance because what you do is you take all of his energy and and you work with it instead of against it. And, and I say that again. So you work with it instead of against it. So it's a non-confrontational approach to problem solving and negotiation. And and that's underpins, I guess, your processes and philosophy at Baron and Neuberger. There are a lot of times when we get good results by working with people on. Uh-huh. What they say, I've said for a long, long time, people will pay you money for their reasons far more than they will pay you money for your reasons. Okay. In the collection world, that's certainly true. And uh-huh. you know, I've worked with collectors, and I'll, I'll talk to them about that. And collectors can always right. give me examples they've seen. Right. In litigation, it's certainly true as well. Now, now I will confess to you, the other side of my martial arts background also helped quite a lot. And there are things we do in litigation uh-huh. that come from that. But it's also almost unnatural. I mean, because it's you know, a human being, you want to fight back, right? Well, you do. Absolutely. And, and if someone comes against you, you want to push back and stand up for yourself. But you're saying you have to look at it in a different way. You have to change the paradigm. And you're saying, let them come toward you and lead them. Is that? That's it. You know, yeah. Let me give you an example that the people in the collection world can relate to. Okay. Someone's screaming at you on the phone. Yeah. What are they trying to do? 
They're trying to provoke you into screaming back, so right. then they've got a lawsuit against you. Right. Trying to provoke you into using bad language, they get a lawsuit against you. They're trying to provoke you into hanging up, so they say, good, I get rid of another one. Right. The minute you resist, Fall for that. Yeah. It, you lose. Yeah. So I teach what I call the Prozac voice. <laughs> you know, the Prozac yeah, voice? What, little, what is get that? Little, get a little quieter, get a little deeper. <laughs> you know, you, you yell at me, and what you're going to hear is, okay. Mr. Flock. Yes. And you keep yelling, yes, Mister Newberg, Mister Flock. Yes, and because because think about it, it's hard to keep screaming at someone who doesn't scream back. Oh, that's the, I have to remember that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, does it work all the time? No, nothing yeah. I ever teach works all the all time. The time. They're, they're, if right. they're, trust me, if they were a magic collection talk off, I'd have retired long ago and owned my own island. <laughs> right, but right, but there are things that work a lot of the time, and so a lot of those things do tend to work. Arguing with someone about why his theory of the case is wrong uh -huh. sometimes wins. Uh -huh. Sometimes showing someone why his theory of the case means that, that he needs to settle. Right. Because even if he's right, yeah. the outcome is a different one than what he's telling you. Regardless. Yeah. Far more effective way to approach yeah. the, uh, the negotiation. Uh -huh. and, and that's, uh -huh. I, learned that in, I learned that in the dojo. I didn't learn it in law school. Wow. Wow. That, that's awesome to think that, you know, you can't teach some of that stuff in law school. You had to learn it in your personal life, and you it was sort of serendipity. You were born without a hand. You got into martial arts, and those techniques in martial arts, now you're applying in the legal world. It's, it's and, exciting. And, and think about it in the business world as well. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll pick one example, one of the phrases I love to use mm -hmm. from the art of war, that uh, strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. Uh -huh. But tactics without strategy... That's the noise before defeat. Right, right. Is that a Chinese proverb? Or? It's art of war. Art of war, okay. You need both, and you, and you better have a strategy. Uh-huh. Well, on that note, we, and we have to conclude now. Um, I, I'd like to just ask you to summarize then for what this means for the debt buying world and, and your customers and friends here at DBA International. What would be your parting words of wisdom uh, as we go forward in what's going to be, I think, the 20th anniversary of DBA? What would you, how would you summarize what you've learned and how you've applied these rules of martial arts to collections and debt buying? My oldest clients and closest friends in the industry knows what I call the rule. And when he's in a panic and he's running around, everyone's in a panic. I mm -hmm. say, stop. What's the rule? And all of a sudden everyone stops and he looks at me and says, when it's time to panic, you'll tell me it's time to panic. And I say, that's right. Have I told you? No. Okay, then stop panicking. Okay. And the answer is when it's time to panic, everyone will know it and stop doing that until it really is time to panic. There's so much wasted time, effort, and money going into really people frantically trying to do things that would much better be done with careful consideration, good planning, mm -hmm. careful implementation. Uh -huh. um, you'll spend a lot more, a lot less money on people like me, right? If you don't panic, right? So don't panic, and remember that it's not an obstacle unless you make it one. Absolutely. Like when you were born without a hand, it was not an obstacle. You didn't make it one. You work with it, and it's now maybe part of your secret sauce, your differentiator, your leadership of Baron Newberger, which is one of the top law firms in the industry. And people look to you for uh, legal leadership and also, I think, uh, strategic leadership. Obstacles are the ones you perceive them to be, but that doesn't mean that they necessarily must be. Mm -hmm. On that note, thank you, Mandy Newberger, for a, a wonderful history of you and your firm, and uh, wish you a very good 2016. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate okay. it.